so 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 i don't know well i do know no one's watching the minute um but welcome to the bang of the hound this is the first in the new format that we're doing via zoom so for anyone that's not familiar with the bang of the hound um i don't know how you got here because it's all on my page right. now this is the new format so we're slightly downplayed because i'm using a lower resolution video um, that in and of itself isn't the, the big news. What is the big news is this is Zoom. So for right now, this is 720, which is fine. You know, it's, it's perfectly functional. Um, moving forward, we're gonna be moving to 1080p and we're gonna be having interviews done in a much higher definition. But for right now, we wanted to get this up and running. We wanted to get it moving. So you guys out there would actually at least see what the podcast will look like moving forward, the format it's gonna be in. The good news is, I'm going to be low definition. Everyone else is probably going to be high definition if you're checking in because you've got a better camera than me. I'm currently using limited hardware as I'm updating my stuff. Let's just change that second. There we go. So, yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. My guest today for the third time on the show, which is a record, is Mr. Michael Billings. Now, Michael, as you know, has been a friend of mine for a, a number of years now. He's a tremendous teacher, awesome practitioner, and general all-round fantastic kind of guy. So to have him on um, at any point is a treat. To have him on for a third time is amazing because as you're sure you're aware from the conversations that me and him have gone backwards and forwards, we're always just going and feeding off each other and getting that energy going. So hopefully this new format, because it's with a familiar guest, um, is um, going to make things work so much better. Hi, Linda. Hello, Alan. How are you doing? Good to have you on with us. Um, we'll uh, see if I can change the view a minute. This is in the gallery view, speak of you. So some of you will just be on audio, um, which is fine. Some of you will just be on audio and video. There is the bulldog, get you in there as well. So welcome, welcome bulldog. Um, and yeah, so this is gonna be the way to go moving forward. You can see me talking. Um, when Michael joins us, obviously we'll then have him on um, and we'll be able to chat moving forwards and um, yeah, it's gonna be good, exciting times as the guests add in. The real beauty with this is, of course, it's real time. So although Facebook Live is, as you put comments on, if I'm midstream or mid-conversation, sometimes I miss them or they don't come up. With everything that's going on here, um, you can see everything as it's happening. Um, this also gives us good audio, gives us good video, and everything moving forward from there. So thanks for joining us. Um, I think this is gonna be an interesting experience. And we'll have the guest of honor online very, very soon with us. So I hope everyone's taking care of yourselves, um, especially during this COVID time. I know I'm in contact with many of you on, via messenger, via telephone and things, but it's equally important that we, um, we take care of each other. And this is one reason I'm gonna be doing much more regular input and output more accurately with the bang of the hound videos, because this allows me to just give information, to give interviews and to get you guys just talking and just discussing food for thought, stuff to be working through with. So it's absolutely um, an essential service. So, hey, I'm not getting paid for it, but I cast myself an essential employee if I was. Very much labor of love. Um, coming up ahead, um, I'm gonna have some guests coming up this week as well. Um, Mr. Chris Hansen is a good hitter on Wednesday, and I'm hoping to get Kevin Davey on Monday. Um, so yeah, good times ahead of us. Without further ado, I'm going to bring him right in and right alongside me right now. And we're sideways, but we do have you on. Let's see. Hang on. And we'll hook you in. Can you hear me, Michael? 
Hang on, I've got you muted. We don't want that. Let me unmute you. Let me unmute you. <laughs> there we go. Can you hear me now? I can. Excellent. It wouldn't be a podcast with you and me if there wasn't some technical balls ups at the beginning. So yeah, it's, fair it's, enough. <laughs> it's good that we got them out of the way. Um, so welcome, welcome, welcome for the third time to the Bang of the Hound. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on again. And thank you for being the first of my guests and testing this new format out for me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here again. And yeah, this is a lot smoother, hey? It seems to be. I mean, we're not even having like with Facebook Live, there was always those horrible connection issues with I'm going to bring you online and I had five people watching, but only one was showing up and Apple doesn't talk to Android and vice versa. At least this is kind of a universal platform thing. So I'm, I'm hoping moving forward, this is going to be a much more cohesive and exciting format for us to do these things in. Seems promising. Yeah, yeah. How are you taking care of yourself during the COVID stuff, which is the, uh, the hot topic of the day? Let, let's really date the podcast and reference the COVID stuff. So when people <laughs> sure. listen to it in three years' time, they'll know where we're at. Yeah, um, for me, it's just become an issue of routine. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have to make sure I'm drinking enough water. I have to exercise, um, training when I can. If I don't feel motivated and I won't push myself, uh, well, that said, it kind of comes in waves for me. So I, I see the consistency as a, a long-term thing. Yeah. So some weeks I have uh, terrific consistency and train like a maniac. If I feel like taking some time off and doing research or something else, then I do that and then I come back to it. So, okay. so there's some things I do for survival and other things I'm being maybe a little more forgiving about. So. That's cool, man. I mean, I think it's actually what I find interesting with things is if you look at the uh, situation as you've outlined it there, um, with that personal discipline, that drive, and that getting the routine and set in there, what's now becoming what people are having to do. We've been doing that for years as martial artists anyway, so it's kind of like this is just a normal way of life for us. It's just in a house, not in a training hall or a dojo or something like that. Have you mm -hmm. found that the martial arts has enabled you to cope with these types of situations and hiccups better? Or is it something that you've had to sort of revisit to kind of push forward to, 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 to come to terms with it? No, it, it has. It has helped me a lot. In fact, I, I, it's helped me through many situations, you know, from the time that um, you know, my parents separated back when I was a kid even even as, as far back as that. Um, when I think about all the trouble I probably could have gotten into as mm. a kid and a teenager, it, it's miraculous. So, you know, all that leading up to now, I mean, it's just an issue of routine. If I can train and I can be active enough that I can sleep well and eat well, and I'm reading and making sure to connect with, with people I care about. And I think martial arts has definitely given me a way to kind of a, a blueprint, if you will, in, in order to deal with something like this. Brilliant. Well, I mean, I, I have to say for me as well, and I'm sure for most of the audience, certainly the ones that are here live with us, it becomes one of the few stable parts of our lives, one of the few things that we can actually cling to. I know when I, there have been times in my life, certainly recently, um, that there's been incredibly uh, low moments, almost troughs, peaks and troughs. And, um, if I don't have the training and don't have the martial arts, I really don't know how I would have coped yeah. because it's one thing that I can, I know for an hour, two hours, three hours, depending on what I'm doing, nothing else counts. I'm in my little vacuum. I'm in my little world and I can have that aspect of control over myself. So 
yeah and yeah. i think in, in in these times it's extra important that we work in that way um yeah. and talk. oh I was, I was just gonna say for myself too and, and you know this about me um i'm more comfortable being open about it i'm also prone to depression and, and anxiety too mm -hmm. so uh the only thing that's really helped me re reframe that is martial arts and training and if i can trick my brain by getting my body moving and then things things work out uh quite well mm -hmm. so. it's an interesting symbiosis when you look at the mind and the body and as without getting too esoteric the spirit that's reflected within that if you can get the mind and the body alive then the spirit can kind of take care of itself and um, mm. one thing that uh, one of my old teachers used to say uh, was um if you were say you just run i don't know a, a 400 yard sprint or something like that and you were exhausted and then as you got to the finish line someone said oh congratulations by the way here's a winning lottery ticket for 30 million you'd probably be like whoa you'd be all up again like that because that mental hit would just lift you physically and paradoxically of course the same is true if you're absolutely in a funk and the last thing you want to do is get moving the art and act of getting moving will often then bring you back to a place of mental stability. So too often I find in the arts, there's a separation between the physical and the mental aspects of it. And conversely, the spiritual, which is the third component, which is when the other two are in place. And it brings us kind of nicely to where I was thinking of taking the podcast today anyway. So what a serendipitous conversation that's led us into it. It's almost like I planned this rather than terrific. Um, <laughs> you're a guy in your training that is more known for your for want of a better word, and I hate the term, so forgive me for indulging in them, but they give frames of reference for everybody. Sure. Um, you're better known for your um, internal. So you do, hey, Morgan's joined us. There you go. Don't be offended. I'm going to turn your video off. Okay. So there we go. Hi, Perfect. Sarah. Bye, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, she's there. I'll bring her back on in a minute. So cool. <laughs> um, this, again, ironing out those creases, like faces popping up yeah. on screen. Um, so you're known for more for the internal side of things, your Qigong, uh, certainly your sticking hands is, it's some of the most sublime I've, I personally felt up close and personal and you're very big on sensing the energy, but what a lot of people don't know about you as well is you've actually got some pretty tasty hands on you. Um, hmm. when you're slinging them at the bags and, and, and indeed at people's heads, have you found that you tend to favor one over the other? Or do you find that it's just a natural blend and you just, whatever mood takes you, that's the way you, you run in your training or your expression at that time? So if you, if you had asked me 10 or 15 years ago, I would have told you I was a, a boxer at heart. And, and, <laughs> and no and harm in that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's, and, and at, at one point, that was a, my primary tool for filtering new material. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, because I didn't have a ton of time with Jesse, I had more time with Harris, but still not as much time as say somebody that trained with him locally. Right. So sometimes you have to have a foundation so you can, um, you know, basically figure out new material and then integrate it. So boxing was that for me for a long time. Now I've been at it long enough that I do sort of separate them. And I, I kind of think the core of what I do is more of the sensory arts mm -hmm. and things go outward from there. Right. But it all, it all sort of, it's all bound together by the sensory stuff. But to this day, when I'm really struggling with something, I will filter it back through a boxing base. Right? It's, and 
it's yeah. the simplest and probably the most honest of the art possibly wrestling being the only other exception to that um yeah. honest solid frameworks that become a lens you can view the other arts through um yeah. i think less so these days since the advent of mma but certainly when i was coming up and i know you came up at the same sort of time as me everything was against the boxer Mm, um, yeah, so you, you you didn't look or want to go against you know the other karate guy or the kung fu guy or the whatever it was um how would this work against the boxer because you had the, you know the tysons and you know the, the big bruising guys that were throwing punches at you these days it seems to be more of an mma framework which is probably yeah. just a shift in the in, in the public consciousness and things but for myself I found having worked through those lenses and those frameworks of boxing, of MMA, and of for the full contact style arts, um, how that has then made the more internal, the more esoteric, and for want of a better word, the more lightly dismissed aspects of art, like the finger locks, like the flow, it mm. makes it work better for me because I have this initial delivery system that I know works and I can then build out from there. Yeah. In your own training, and like you said, you're a boxer at heart and you started with the hard stuff and certainly coming up with Jesse, you know, you ain't playing when you're going, you know, and working with him. Do you find that you went from a sort of harder, full-on base to soften it out once you had that framework or was it more of a organic evolution between the two lines? It's more of an organic, organic evolution because like when I met my teacher, Fred, in 95, up to that point, I, I consider myself to have had experience with fairly generic exposure to like Filipino martial arts, um, some some JKD actually, and but but all on a very superficial level. Mm -hmm. When I met Fred, he opened a lot of doors. So not only was I getting um, Filipino martial arts and boxing kind of a synthesis all thrown at me, but then also the door to Jesse Harris. Fook and everybody else opened up. So I was flooded a lot, you know, right. and it took me a certain number of years to be able to separate them and then start to start to uh, reverse engineer everything and then put it back together. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at one point I thought that probably the internal stuff was more advanced. And so I would try to make everything as soft as possible and no touch the whole bit, you know, and you feel like the Jedi and, and, <laughs> and, and it's a big ego boost for you. But the truth is that the truth is that it's not like they, they both are. And, and really it's just a toolbox. So sometimes the softer stuff comes out, sometimes the harder stuff, sometimes it's a balance of the two. And I find that that that's the way it's been going for me. Uh, especially over the last few years so do you find it's been easier to identify those common threads because you have the background from both yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um you know like if you if you build somebody up with a boxing base you're essentially stacking the joints and working on you know popular term now is kinetic chain right so the same or very similar alignments that give you power transfer in boxing are the same that are very similar with some minor modifications that you would use for certain qigong postures or another simpler way to look at it is if if you know the more you know about building your own structure up so you can transfer power and hit hard and move fast it's the same thing that you can the same recipe that you would use to deconstruct somebody's structure 
or break them down and throw them. Mm. So, and then one, one tells you a lot about the other and then it keeps feeding each other. So it's an interesting process in that way. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned like, you know, the commonalities between the arts allow you to define the expression within the others, because I know certainly when we push hands and not just yourself and me, myself and my teacher, Sifu Singh, and um, I won't say Sifu Tayam because he basically kicked the shit out of me. Um, but, but when I touch hands and we do chi sao or we do um, uh, splashing hands with anybody, I've never formally trained really in any of that. I've done a little more chi sao than I have splashing hands, but obviously I have a wrestling and a grappling background. And I found that is, it's not right in the sense that a drill has its rules and I kind of stuff the wrestling into the drill, but it enables me to find the value contained within the drill. And you once paid me a, a, actually quite a compliment when you said my energy was pretty fucked up, but it was quite good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I stand by that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, yeah. probably a metaphor for my mindset as well. Um, but um, I, I found that having that, the, the wrestling base, the boxing base, or the full contact base has allowed so many other things to make more sense to me. Mm. And I kind of regret in my early years, certainly being as dismissive as I was towards the more esoteric aspects of the arts, like the qigong, like the balance, and like that stabilization and energy. What I'm finding now is it kind of came out of the full contact and everybody started refining again. Now we're almost going back to the full contact again. And if it's not in the cage or in the ring, it's not real. Um, mm. Are you still finding that in your interactions? I know you don't perhaps teach as widely or have as much exposure to people as, as, as you know, myself as an example, but are you finding that there's still that show me aspect to teaching or people, do they come with an open cup, you know? Uh, I'm still seeing cha like challenge on a small level. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, again, I, my circulation is quite small compared to compared to you guys. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there's still that uh, there's still that idea that you know, oh, would it work against a boxer? Would it work against this? Or would it work if somebody was really trying to take your head off? And um, you know, my answer is usually something like, "What you do should work, whether or not somebody else believes in it or not." Mm -hmm. and it should work against you know i mean not that i suggest going to other schools and playing psychological warfare and challenging them but um <laughs> but i mean in theory you should be able to walk into another school and hold your own mm -hmm. and it shouldn't matter what they're up to right and it shouldn't matter the rules it shouldn't matter so i've um i've had people challenge me in the way that especially when you're showing someone basics and you kind of have to dumb things down to help them along. Right. And then they'll, they'll question it immediately, like whether, whether or not it's going to win. And maybe that's an issue of faith, you know, in a sense, like mm -hmm. they're not sure whether or not to invest their time and energy into doing what you're doing and they need to make sure somehow, but you know, the flip side is also true. Right. Um, you know, you have to be able to show what you do and you have to give somebody some sense of where they're going. So if you sometimes like what I've gotten in the habit of doing is I might, might give them an example of where it goes two or three steps down the road just so they can relax in the present, be more present and then trust the process a little more. Um, cause I, I try to, I try to do a lot of screening before I meet people because mm -hmm. The, la the last thing I want to do is be in a situation where I have to convince people, right? Yeah, um, sure. 
still, I mean, some people have, you know, little cracks in their psyche and things surface and, and you think somebody's cool and then they try to take a swing at you and, you know, hopefully you can deal with it without hurting them too much and, and then get, maybe give them another chance. But I mean, life's short. If, if it's not working out, then I usually just, um, you know, suggest we go our separate ways and, and that's about it. Right. So you don't, I mean, that's another really cool thing. And um, you don't actively petition for students. Mm. You don't advertise. You don't have premises with habit logo and branding and everything. Um, you're very much uh, someone, you know, if they think that they know someone that would be useful, they will refer them to you. Talk mm. me through your screening process for a student. Um, I mean, I know you've, spoken to me about prospective students before and people asking to come and train with you and it, it's at the risk of making this question go on for 20 minutes um one of the things i respect very very highly is you've never actually taken anyone on from another instructor or another school without clearing mm. or checking with that school first which is an old-fashioned attitude which i i love i think it's absolutely fantastic mm. and I, I i encourage everybody if you're looking at getting something from yourself or from me or whatever make sure that your own instructor knows you're going just keep everything above board i will never stop anybody going to another school i've always said that and the only proviso i have is if you get something good show me so i can steal it yeah um yeah <laughs> so i might get good too um but you've always been very very traditional old-fashioned in that way which is often you know lost in, in today's society but talk us through that screening process how does someone approach you how do they find you because you're a bit like the 18 you know when <laughs> turn up and like, oh, God, shit. Um, so talk us through how, how someone would go about becoming a student in that process yeah uh, um, typically happens if somebody knows me uh, either on Facebook or uh, you know they've stumbled across, across one of my videos or uh, or they know you or, or somebody that I know mm -hmm. and they say oh what's that what's that guy about and um, you know then I might get a phone call or a message um, a phone call then we can kind of skip a step you know, usually like the kind of the long version is somebody might message me on messenger or make a comment on Facebook then maybe it's a short period of messaging then we might talk on the phone then I can actually hear their voice and maybe throw a few probing questions at them and and get a sense of their personality um, experience levels uh, whatnot or stated and, experience and, levels is often the case rather than actual experience levels. Yeah, and that's the other thing, right? Because I want to I want to take a, a rough mental note of what they say that they've done. Mm -hmm. So if they say they've been training for thirty years and you know various, because um, I've had that happen actually, where a gentleman called me and said that he was a you know thir thirty year student and was a living disciple in Japan and was a tai chi master and a bunch of other things and in my mind i i, I kind of well not even just in my mind but I, I i couldn't help myself i asked him like why why are you coming to me like it sounds like you <laughs> <laughs> sounds like no, you got, that, you know? yeah you know like in all honesty you know you you feel like you're not calling me because you feel like you can't learn something from me but it sounds like you have quite an impressive resume so what's up and um but then when touching hands with him, I realized that what he said didn't really match up with what he could do. Right. Right. And I don't know, I don't know where the disconnect was and I, and we didn't get to train long enough to find out, but, um, 
it, that you know so what people say they do and what and and more specifically what people think they do versus what they actually do can be very different so i i start with that and um you know i give them an opportunity to talk about their teachers or or their own experience and you know and i want to i'm kind of looking for somebody that i don't have to try to impress that has patience um doesn't mind working hard doesn't mind repetition um ideally they can work alone fairly independently as well and um you know i make it clear like i'm not trying to get rich i'm not i'm not trying to um milk the lesson so when i suggest a certain time frame um such as you know we need to meet once a week for two hours at minimum mm -hmm. i'm just trying to give them a sense of like realistic expectation so i try to get a lot of that out of the way before we even touch hands and in some cases if i'm still not sure or on the fence i might meet with them have tea and then i can actually sit across from them and gauge their um, you know their body language and and again ask certain questions and maybe i'll ask them the same questions and see if the answers are consistent mm -hmm. and it, it sounds kind of um unnecessary and a bit paranoid probably but it, it's just that it filters out a lot of the nonsense so i, I mean no it doesn't yeah. actually it makes sense yeah. um and it's one of the the joys you have of being a non-commercial enterprise when you do that sort of thing. I mean, I'm not saying one's better than the other. It isn't. I mean, I've no. done both. I've done both. No. I don't have the luxury, uh, myself and Sergio, my business partner, we don't have the luxury of mm. doing a full-on filter. I mean, obviously, we know when people come in and they're a little hinky, we will steer them somewhere else. Um, but we don't have the same level of luxury simply because we're effectively in the service industry. So we got minimal discretion in ours. You have almost total discretion in yours. Yeah. What's interesting is, though, this is something I know about you, um, and I always dig yourself up more than you do. You never turn anyone away initially. You'll always give anyone a roll of the dice. I know a very few people you, a very very few people you've actually ever turned away or not taught, at least for one session, just to give them that chance. Um, yeah. Is that something that you consciously do, or do you think that's just more a reflection of pretty much what a chill guy you are? <laughs> um. Well, I probably, I, I think back to like when, you know, the, the bit of time I spent with Jesse or, or the occasions I saw here or any of those guys, I'm sure there were times I was a bit of a, an idiot about things, you know, like yeah. I, I'm sure, I'm sure that if they had a very strict policy that I might not have had the chance to move on with yeah. them. Yeah. So I figure that, you know, Sometimes if somebody misbehaves, it's not necessarily uh, a reflection of who they are consistently. Right. So plus the fact that usually when I'm a little bit nervous to work with somebody, that's usually a push for me to, to actually say like, you know, this is a chance for me to learn too. Maybe right. they're going to act or move differently. And if this stuff is going to work or be real, then it has to be real even in situations that aren't convenient for me or with people that I might not be comfortable with. Right. So I kind of, I kind of treat it as a personal challenge, but also I do like to give people a chance. And if, you know, if they show me certain signs that things are going to work out, usually it's a gradual thing. So you can maybe go for a walk with them before class, or you can have a phone conversation or email. Um, there's not too many occasions that, you know, you're, you feel comfortable enough to meet and work with them. Maybe you think it's a challenge, but then they totally, 
you know, blow apart your expectations and act like a total maniac, right? It's, it's usually something more like if it's not going to work out, that slowly reveals itself over a period of time. Yeah. And maybe you, maybe you have a criteria that you go through and then eventually it's like, you know what? Um, so like, for instance, one of the things I often say is if it gets to a point where I feel like I can't help somebody, then I'm not, I'm certainly not going to charge money for lessons or waste anybody's time at that point. Mm, and especially your own, especially my own. And, you know, if I see if, if somebody comes to me and they want to learn wrestling, I'm not a wrestler and I make that clear, but they say, okay, well, I still want to work with you, but they keep talking about wrestling. Then it's not going to take long for me to say, okay, well, I know some really good wrestlers. Why don't you go work with them? Yeah. There's no point in working with me if that if that's the interest. So that's happened a few times with you though, and you seem to. I always used to jokingly refer to you as like one of the the, the hidden jewels of martial arts in the community. Mm. You find people will approach you to be a lens for their own art. So, do you find that you get about a fifty-fifty mix in this? And what I mean by that is, some people will almost hire you to be a troubleshooter for their own art rather than learn the synthesis method for its own sake <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the closest way i can describe that no, do you find uh, when we talk it always seems to be you've got a 50 50 split so you've got the ones that use you as a troubleshooter and the ones that actually want to learn your style as you interpret it um how do you find the difference in approach between those two camps because it's a very different approach one is asking you to fix something they already have and the other one is basically building it from scratch how do you find your approach uh, differs as a teacher and as a as a practitioner they're they're both um they're both rewarding and they're both incredibly frustrating <laughs> at times uh, uh i i i wouldn't have planned it this way but i tend to have most of the people i meet now have quite a bit of experience mm -hmm. in different arts so for some reason um, most of the people I meet with these days have a vast background and then I end up just making subtle adjustments or adding things and then helping them integrate that into what they already do. Right. It's not too often anymore that um, I end up building someone up from scratch and I'm, I'm sort of both relieved and troubled by it in a, in a sense because it's kind of nice when you get somebody that when that's really keen to learn and they just want to learn from the, the beginning yeah. and you can just build them up from nothing and but then it takes a lot of time and it usually takes more work and effort than most than people are willing to go through sure. so it's kind of nice for me to have somebody that you know they can already either move fairly well or you know they know what it's like to to not get punched in the face or or be able to to counter stuff on a basic level or even an advanced level and then um, if they find something useful out of what I'm showing them, then I can spend some time with them and help them integrate that to their existing base. And for one reason or another, that's what I tend to do most of these days. So. I find um, for myself, when I get the experienced guys, uh, it's, it's yin and yang with the way they come in. They're either experienced and want to improve, or they want to come in and show you what they already know. And they're not yeah. actually, they're not actually interested in getting better. Um, yeah. I find that especially in the grappling side of things. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, like you said yourself, you're not a grappler, but you get the people come in and they don't want to learn a damn thing. They want to show you that they're as good or as better than that and say, well, I'm coming here, but I don't really need to. Um, yeah. That must be, from your perspective, one of the biggest frustrations because you offer such a, 
a refined approach to the arts and there's a lot of subtlety in what you do which is why i'm, I'm such a big advocate of, of, of people training with you and i often send guys your way um do you find that's doubly frustrating because it's not just a case of they want to learn from you they almost want to say well we kind of do that already and every time you're trying to teach it's like yeah yeah yeah, i get it i get it i get it and all the crap that goes along with that yeah man i it never ceases to amaze me i i've <laughs> i've been it, it's a it's a strange phenomenon you know like can you imagine a a physician you know going going to a conference to to let the other physicians know how much they know right it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy um i never really understood it why people would pay for that like why people would i guess maybe it's a validation thing but sure. for for people to for people to hire me um to spend an hour or two with them or even like a three four hour class and then show me everything they know it yeah i don't know it never it's never made sense to me and i don't think it ever will except that people want to feel like they're really good at what they do mm. and to me i i never understood it because whenever whenever i was around someone like fred or mr harris or you know steve in the old days or anybody it's like i want to milk everything i can from that session from them so i can learn it yeah right? I, have, I have no interest in it's not that i want to keep secrets it's just that i'm far more interested in learning than i am telling people what i know so um again it's not it's not something i feel um like i have to work at it's just that if you're going to somebody for lessons, it's natural that you would actually try to learn something. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, I don't understand. So yeah, to answer the question simply, it's incredibly frustrating and, uh, and something I, something I don't really understand. I find for myself that the better I get, the worse I think I am because I know who I'm not comparing myself to. So mm -hmm. as I improve and I get better, I'm still keeping that metric of the people above me. Again, it's not planned this way, guys, I promise. Me and Michael just riff when we do our conversations, but it's a beautiful segue into the, uh, into the other stuff because you mentioned Steve and Fred and Mr. Harris, um, which was a bit of your training we never really expounded on fully last time. We did a lot of exploring with Sonny and a lot of, sort of stuff you've done with, yeah. with Jesse and Fook. Um, those guys have been uh, very important to you in your personal mm. development and your training over the years, you know. As with any instructor-student relationship, there's good, there's bad. But overall, you always speak of them in such glowing terms. But yet there are also three guys that I'll guarantee the mainstream martial arts community probably isn't that aware of. Mm. Um, so do you want to introduce those guys to us and give us a, a sense of what you've got from them and your experiences with them? Yeah, sure. Um, so you mentioned Steve. So Steve Smith, um, I didn't expect to spend that much time with him either, but he was introduced to me by Fred. Now, um, now he was uh, uh, one of Mr. Harris's top students, and he um, later became the official inheritor of, of Mr. Young's arts. And he also uh, trained a lot with Jesse, so they they spent a lot of time together and shared a lot of ideas. So, interestingly enough, when you see the way that Jesse moved toward the end of his life, a lot of that or some of that was influenced by Steve Smith. So he's kind mm. of a quiet guy. Um, again, we're not really in touch anymore, but I think he's doing well and um, he's still actively teaching and I'm sure still learning and growing and, and uh, probably I'd say 
the most of like the majority of the time I spent with him was from maybe 95 into the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And this is just through periodic visits and whatnot. And, um, but he's, he's very good at what, what he does. There's no doubt. And um, Mr. Harris, uh, not many people know him, but he was, uh, so I think the last interview we talked a bit about Bok Young being Bruce Lee's teacher from the late yeah. um, 50s through the mid 60s. Yes, you did. Now, um, his number one Gung Fu son was actually Master David Harris. So he was a brilliant martial artist and not only top student of Fook, but also um, very high level student of Chung Te Chen, um, I think Raymond Chung, um, and there's a number of other, of other masters that he worked with in both Tai Chi Bagua and Xing Yi and also the red bolt material through mr young and i mean who knows what else but so he um he unfortunately passed away in 2008 right uh whereas uh, i'm not sure if i mentioned but steve is alive and well yeah i think he's living in walla walla washington and um fred he would be the, the biggest influence for me because he changed everything. Like when I met him in 95, he opened up all the doors. He gave me a completely new approach to Filipino martial arts that was very boxing based. Mm-hmm. So um, through him, I kind of learned his, his, I guess, for lack of a better way to say it, his public curriculum. So uh, his five levels. And then I also learned a lot of stuff through him privately that enhanced that material. But then I was also learning material that he was experimenting with. So, I mean, you know, everything, basically everything I got, all the seeds came from him. And he studied with a lot of people like Bobby Tabota, Remy Preces, and, um, It's like a murderer's role with the Filipino. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's, he's the guy that brought Sonny Umpad to Victoria. Yeah. Spent a little bit of time with Sonny. Um, I'm not sure why we never had him back. I'm not sure if he and Sonny got along. I, I, I don't know that they didn't get along, but I I know that um, the particular Belinda walk that Fred taught after Sonny came, he did make modifications specifically based on what Sonny had advised. Right. So, so it's interesting, like the Belinda walk is different anyway. Which I think is more of like a modern artist to walk, as far as I understand. Yeah. And then it has some Visayan Eskrima, um, basically modifications that that have changed the flavor of it a little bit. Now I say that you know the last time I t- touched hands with Fred was well over ten years ago. So the to walk that I do, um, I'm sure has a different flavor from even what Fred had showed, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there was a lot that Fred didn't show me. So there's a lot of stuff that I've had to figure out and add. And, and again, that's sort of come full circle back into how I approach the sensory arts because that, that's reflected in how I do the blend to walk and all the stick work too. Sure. But um, yeah, so I mean, back in those days, 95, Fred just opened up a whole new world. Um, at that time, Steve was kind of in that world. But from, you know, from the early 2000s, I didn't really see him much after that. And um I think the last time I saw him was actually in 2008 at Mr. Harris's funeral. But they, um, nevertheless, man, people come in and out of your life and sometimes it's not for a very long time, but they can influence you 
for the rest of your life in some yeah. way or another. So yeah. martial arts specifically is very noticeable for those aspects. Um, I, I can think of, of points I've trained with guys and I never claim them with my teachers. I always say I've been to a seminar trained with them, which is again, something I'm, I'm particularly big on. There's a lot of people that I've been to seminars with that I don't claim I've ever trained with because I didn't, I was at a seminar with them. Um, but they give one piece of input or one piece of the puzzle, which makes the rest of the picture make, make so much more sense. Um, so it's so, I think it's almost peculiar to the martial arts that one little throwaway thing from one person can have such a, a cascade effect on the rest of your development. Um, mm. And it, it seems to be that way with, with, with the way you're talking about your teachers that each one of them has given you this little piece mm. of, of the synthesis that's allowed you to kind of move forward with it. Um, mm. Because again, you're very, very humble in what you do, but you just... You always present yourself as a guy. Yeah, I just I just pass on what I know and what I've learned over the years. And if you get value in it, so so much the better. Um, were you ever formally graded in any of the disciplines? Um, mm. Or because I know the guys are kind of old school themselves, and they didn't really go in for that sort of stuff anyway. Um, mm. But were you ever formally graded, or are you literally just a gestalt um, <laughs> entity based on all these experiences that you've had over the years? Um, I, I was officially graded with Fred. Mm -hmm. So I, I was the senior certified instructor with him for a number of years. And uh, so I started with him in 95 mm -hmm. and I think it was 2000 or two, I think it was actually two, the fall of 2000. I got my, my black belt or black sash with him. Mm -hmm. So I became a certified instructor and then I was one of the only senior certified instructors or active uh, for a long, for quite a few years. And um, I, don't, I don't claim that or use that anymore. That was within the Cyclone Fighting Arts system, so for right. Fred. Now, when it came to Harris, um, Fred, Fred basically had permission to grant people um, the ability to teach certain things based on their uh, capability. So right. I, knew, I knew Mr. Harris. Um, I got to know him personally through Fred, but then later on I was visiting him more on my own. And um, so basically it was like, he told Fred, you know, if you've got students that are doing well with the material, as long as you think it's okay, I think it's okay. So that was kind of like the thumbs up at that. That was, that was back again, back into the early 2000s. Now, when it later on, the last few visits with Mr. Harris, now I was more sharing my own personal notes with him and asking like, how, do you, how would you explain this? Or how would you do this? Or how would you share this? And so I think at that point, it was just sort of a given that I had a small group and I was sharing uh, with Jesse. It was just one sentence, basically. Um, so he, he, didn't, he didn't give out certificates, Jesse. Mm -hmm. He didn't give out certificates and he didn't really give permission to teach. Um, He'd been known to say, like, you know, if anybody had trained with me for about a year, they probably have something to share. He was also very firm on the fact that people didn't represent him. He represented right. him. People res represent themselves. So I think that gives people the freedom to, you know, if you're working really hard and you're getting the results you want, then probably it doesn't really matter, right? So basically... Uh, when I went to visit him in Seattle, 
we um, went down to the basement and I kind of said, I, I, you know, you, because you, he knew Fred, I said, you, you know, Fred and, and I'm teaching a small group in Duncan. Um, do you mind if I share this stuff with people? He, and he just kind of looked at me and said, you know, sure. That was, that was really it. Right. It was never, there was never like, um, you know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume otherwise. Like I said, I didn't have sure. much time with him. So, you know, some of the guys that worked him, with him were with him for more than 20 years. So it's like, if anybody was going to give an accurate sense of non-classical Kung Fu, those would be the guys to go to. For me, I just, I just think of it as I learned some cool stuff from him. Mm -hmm. I got to feel, feel some neat things from him. And as I'm getting older, I'm getting closer to being able to achieve some of those things. And, you know, as far as like looking normal and I, I kind of, I kind of like that old boxer mentality, you know, you see like Sugar Ray Robinson and those guys and they're yeah. dressed up in suits and they look nice and friendly, but when they get in the ring, it's a different story. Yes. So it's like what people say and how they act doesn't matter. But when you touch hands with somebody, that's far more accurate. So, mm. you know, there's when people talk about who they've trained with and how many years they've been training and they show me the tattoos and it's like, you just smile, right? Because it's like, okay, that's cool. But it doesn't say anything about what you can do. And yeah. so, and, and I think just touching on those guys, they all sort of, they all carried themselves in that way, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, it gave me the, it gave me the idea to, to, to follow the same, the same way. Yeah. As I think in the first interview we mentioned, it's almost become a, a trademark of yours that you turned up in a, a sports <laughs> jacket and, and jeans and it's like a, you know, an X-Men shirt or something. You know? <laughs> well, well, again, that, that was kind of a skateboarding. Well, this, the, the skateboarder in me would kind of say that, you know, whatever you, if you can, if you can skateboard in whatever you're wearing, then you can certainly train in whatever you're wearing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and you can really skateboard in anything. So there you go. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then the other thing is it does, it does sometimes give you that covert aspect. So mm. when you, um, you know, when you walk into a seminar and you're hosting it and people have expectations and you walk in and, uh, silly t-shirt or flip flops um, it often reframes the, the situation and people people are expecting something probably far more or far um, far greater than the reality mm -hmm. and they expect you to wear something that reflects that and act in a certain way and when you're just walking around chilled out and trying to be a normal human being and talk to people they need to know that that doesn't again say anything about how you move or what you do those can be two different things and in fact it's probably best to not advertise what you do you know unless you're sharing it or having to do it right. so yeah awesome awesome um we are coming towards the last 15 minutes what i'd like to do if it's okay with you is maybe throw it up to the okay. floor for a few questions um we've got one already sure. from the bulldog i'm going to bring him on screen to ask so let's see what we can do with this and let's give here we go. So Simon, here he comes. There Hello there, gentlemen. How you going, buddy? Hey, Simon. I'm all right. This is way past my bedtime because I'm in the UK. <laughs> 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 so I've got matches holding my eyes open. Good enough. Uh, Michael, I've got, I've got a question for you. 
Now, when you're, a, when you're a young man mm. um, and you perhaps start the first few lessons, you mm. can be wowed by something like boxing or kickboxing or a screamer. And indeed, you can probably pick something up in the first few lessons. Mm. Tai Chi and the so-called internal arts is a massive investment in time. Mm. So as a young man, what made you see the, um, the worth in that and stick with it and give it the time from a young man? Mm. That's a good question. Um, well, I took, I took a bit of it on faith. So um, my teacher, Fred, Fred Shadian at the time, I knew he could move. I knew he could fight. Um, I was a little bit intimidated by him and what he could do. And I knew he felt like he could do nothing against people like Mr. Harris, like they were just ghosts. And um, when I met Mr. Harris, I had the same experience. So I was, I was quite, I was about in my early 20s. I knew I could punch really fast. I knew I could punch hard. I'd had a good success rate. I'd been boxing a lot and I could touch those guys, right? So I think it was suggested to me that the more real you can make those experiences, um, I guess the fewer questions you have about whether it's valid or not. So for instance, me trying to take Mr. Harris's head off and not being able to land a punch, not be, just falling into a hole every time. Um, he's making me fall with one finger. Um, very like, very, very it's, it's really funny, you know, because um, yeah. I did uh, a session with my Tai Chi instructor. We went to his instructor and my instructor introduced me. This is Simon. He's my senior student. He's been doing Kung Fu for years. And the Tai Chi instructor, Simon Watson, sort of said, don't worry, he's with us now. So that's all good, that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I get where you're coming from. So, like, Fred, Fred said that when you get somebody with experience that runs into something like that, one of two things usually happens. And I found this to be true. So you get somebody with 20 years experience, uh, me being a kid at that time, I didn't have much, but on the flip side, when you see somebody that does have more external experience than they run into somebody like that and it rocks their world, one of two things happens. Either they say, sign me up, I want to learn this, yeah. or, or they get really offended or pushed away from it. And I've yeah. seen that too. So I think maybe I was lucky to see it at a young age and see the value in it. Um, and I think what helped me see the value in it was that somebody that was seemingly older and not physically impressive to look at could move in such a sophisticated, subtle, and rich way. And it made me want to invest the time at that point. So I, I guess partly I was lucky enough to, to see the value in it, but I also had very clear experiences that, that yeah. made it clear that this is, this is crazy material that I have to learn. So... Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, Good uh, yeah, nice to see you, Simon. Great question, Bull. Thank Thanks for joining us. There you go. Oh, so has anyone else got any questions um, for Michael? Because uh, as you can see, we've now got this little interactive format thing going on. It's pretty cool. Ah, Morgan, I see you've got one coming on there. So I'm going to unmute you and then I'm going to bring you on at the same time. Let's see what we can do with that. Hello, we can hear you. Hold on. Hey, Sarah. There we go. There That's we better. Go. Uh, hi, Michael. I'm actually going to hey, ask Sarah. you one that might be a little bit more of an uncomfortable kind of answer one. So, um, Trust you. <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? 
We all know my story of, of well, some do anyway. Um, there's turning points in your martial arts career. And yeah. I would like to actually know what one of your um, biggest turning points were, whether, you know, whether it was stepping out of the box or something that really got to you just at that point where it could have been like that point of, yes, I'm going to continue doing this or no, I'm not going to continue doing this. Like, you know, we come up to those pivotal points. What was one of your big ones? Um, one of the biggest ones for me was having a falling out with my instructor, with Fred. Um, it, uh, it definitely rocked me and I, I had for a while considered moving away from martial arts altogether. That was back in, um, oh geez, like 2013. Um, and, uh, at that point we'd been so close and, I looked to him for support and, and he was more of a mentor than anything. And, um, he, he was, I don't know what changes he was going through, but he, he seemed to take fairly significant offense to me wanting to move on and do my own thing. And, um, he had made it clear that he was changing the format and that, um, you know, rightly so, that, that people wanting to, to represent him had to do things in the way that he he laid out for them. And uh, he was right to say that because, I mean, he's talking about his life's work and he's talking about people out there wearing his shirts and doing his thing. And I have a bit more empathy for that now. But at the time, I had quite, I had so much autonomy and I was teaching under him, but I was doing my own thing. And um, I approached him very uh i was very nervous and i i kind of said you know i want to do my own thing now i've come up with the name actually i don't even know if i had come up with the name but all around that time the synthesis thing came out the mm -hmm. tensegrity and everything but it um it wasn't well received and i don't know if there were other things fused into that but it um it, it just wasn't a good thing and it ended up being quite volatile for a short while and um you know when you when you when you look up to somebody that much and you know what you do is validated by them and you feel supported by them and then all of a sudden that's that's cut out from under you yep. um i had to make a big decision whether or not i was going to feel um, confident enough to to really um put it out there by myself or whether or not I was just going to move on to something else. I mean, I had other hobbies, like I, not that martial arts is a hobby or any of the other things I do as a hobby, but, but I, I enjoyed woodworking. Uh, I enjoyed doing a, a lot of things like skateboarding and any number of other things that I could have put more attention into. And, uh, but then, you know, uh, after a short while, it was pretty clear that I had to keep going and now I wouldn't have it any other way. So what, what ended up being a tragedy actually ended up making me strong in a way that I wouldn't have anticipated. I think always so, the biggest growth yeah. periods, right? Those times that you come up to that fork in the road and it's like, do I continue this? Do I, you know, move on yeah. from it? Those, those points, those pivotal points, massive, massive. Yeah. For sharing like, that. like I think, I think a lot of writers, some of the, some of the better known writers will say that, 
you know, years of suffering mm-hmm. are the good years, right? And I, I found that to be true in martial arts. The, the, more, the more you can look for the things that you don't want to look for, um, the better off you tend to be afterwards. So now I embrace that. Now I don't mind um, the scary, Even dark better. things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then getting and being a better person Thank for you. it. Thank so, you. Thanks very yeah. much. Good yeah, question, thanks. Morgan. Thanks, thanks for joining. I'll turn you off and I will meet you. All right. Anyone else got a question for Michael um, before we, uh, we wrap this on up? Good Come on, Jack. Yeah, Shaq's got to have one. He's never stopped bloody talking. No? Okay, fair enough. If, if, you, if you chop up if you want to. Um, yeah, so we're coming to the end. Uh, I mean, again, it feels like we've just been talking for 15 minutes and here we are in an hour, just gone. Um, yeah. we, we should just rename this the Jane Michael Show because sure. <laughs> we just, we'll just keep publishing our conversations and uh, hopefully we'll get some views and things on that. Um, thanks once again for joining us, brother. Um, I always do a, a little sign up afterwards, but I might not do it on this one because of the nature of the new format things. Um, mm. It's a legitimate pleasure and a joy to talk to you every time. I, I, I always come away with, with, with insights myself and, 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 uh, and I, I find it a tremendously fulfilling experience as a, a listener and as an interviewer because I was asked the questions. I then just sort of sit back and listen and mm. I get just as much from that as I do from, from anything else. Um, is there any one thing you'd like to, to give? Because I guarantee we'll have you on again and you're, mm. literally, you're literally going to be like special guest star, William Shatner, um, <laughs> who seems to be at every show ever. Um, but is there any one thing you'd like to just give people to take away that you found has been your biggest takeaway from the martial arts as a whole? Um, what, what, have, what have you found your biggest thing from it is? Well, one thing is that people can generally go a lot further than they think they can in, in martial arts or anything, really. Yeah. And, um, and you know, when people say things like have faith in yourself, uh, believe in yourself, it comes off as cliche and you, you write it off as that. But those things are super, super, super important. In fact, they, they you know, it's like the saying, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And that's that's been a big one for me. The other thing is that you have to trust the process that you're not going to know what you're doing at first and you have to be the fool before you become the master. You might not ever be the master, but, but in order to do something well, you have to start doing it poorly yeah. and that's okay. And the only way you get to any level of proficiency is by taking your lumps and actually being persistent. So, you know, which again, you have to believe in yourself to do. And I mean, there's a lot more, but that's, I'll, I'll, uh, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. What a perfect way to end it. It's absolutely awesome. Um, if anybody wants to contact you to book you for seminars or book you for training, is there a direct to do way to do that? Or shall they just message me and I'll refer them on to? Yeah, that, that, um, I mean, uh, certainly, um, messenger or anything on Facebook, anything, social media, I'm happy to leave my email with you if you want. Or perfect. If you want to just announce it for the boys yeah. and girls. Yeah. So it's, it's long. It's simple. That's it's what she said. My name. <laughs> she did um, so, <laughs> she was lying but <laughs> it's still nice to hear though yeah um, so it's michael edward billings at gmail.com so michael spelled a-e-l and um yeah feel free to contact me with any questions um through you or directly that's fine awesome awesome 
yeah. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you for helping me test drive the new format for the betting. I think we can uh, consider this a successful launch of the new way of doing things. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jay. Thanks, no, it's man. absolute pleasure, man. Absolute pleasure. Um, so, and there uh, we go. So, Michael Billings, um, another uh, awesome, awesome session with him. I guarantee we'll be doing a fourth and a fifth and all that sort of stuff as well going forward. Um, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Um, I know uh, the Vegas of the Hounds have been relatively frequent recently. Now you know why. We've been building towards this new format and things. Moving forward, this is the way things are going to be done. Um, and yeah, we've got some exciting stuff coming up. Like I said, I'm hoping to get Mr. Kevin Davey done tomorrow. Um, and come Wednesday, Mr. Chris Hansen. And then, as I was talking to some people about earlier on, I'm hoping to have a very, very special guest lined up for the week after. So that's well worth staying tuned for. Um, so this is me signing off. Thanks for joining us. Um, if you're joining us after the party, uh, thanks for watching it. As always, feel free to share, subscribe, and you know, tell anyone else that you know. And uh, yeah, stay care. Take care of yourself, rather. Stay safe. And uh, I will see you all next time. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.